Good morning, Heart Church. So if you don't already know me, my name's Amber Beals. I am a part of the council here and also a part of the leadership church, our leadership team. And uh, my husband and I have been attending this church since day one at LR Green, which is several years. So we love it here. It's our home. So before I begin, do me a favor. We're all going to take one big, deep breath. Okay, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. So last week, Shane called me up, and he was like, hey, can you share your story on Sunday? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's only five minutes. It'll be great. You share your story. It's awesome. My first thought was no. And then my second thought was, well, yeah, still no. <laughs> and then my third thought was, how am I going to make this only five minutes? <laughs> And it's funny how the Holy Spirit, you know, changes your mind on the third thought. So here I am, and here it goes, five minutes, okay? So I grew up being pretty much raised by a village. My childhood was split up between living with my mom and my grandparents. Now, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm the awesome person I am today because of all my experiences. So super grateful for that. When I was with my grandparents, I was raised in the church. So I thought, I, you know, I'm a Christian. Then I graduated high school. And I was like, you know what? I'm agnostic. And one of the big reasons for that was my mom. She became a member of a, uh, a Wicca coven. And not just a member, she was the high priestess of this coven. My mom lives by the uh, go big or go home philosophy. <laughs> and, and I love her for it. But, so I was interested. I don't know what it is about spells, magic, witchcraft, but it's kind of appealing. So I wanted to watch. I went to one of her rituals, and I specifically watched the people. And what I saw was anger, bitterness, and resentment. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's not for me. So I was lost for about a year, and then I made a friend online. And he was a Christian, and he ministered to me a lot. And uh, after a while, I was like, okay, yeah. So I rededicated myself to the Lord for, for reals this time. And I got to experience that peace beyond understanding, the one that everyone always talks about. Yeah, I got to experience it, and it was awesome. Definitely recommend. And so I was really happy with my decision, and I was like, okay, great. Things are going to start looking up. One month later, my mom sent my grandfather a text message. And she was still in Texas at the time. And she said that she wanted to end her life. And this is not new for my mom. She has bipolar, so this is not the first time, unfortunately, that she's been through this. So the next day, I fly out with my grandmother and just to assess my mom, assess the situation, and you know, see what steps we need to take next. As soon as I walk into her house, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is not her mental disorder. This is spiritual warfare. Side note, this is my number one fear. I don't like anything to do with demons, spirits, anything. I don't even watch the movies. Like, I want nothing to do with it. So when he told me that, I was like, okay. So I walk in. I spend the day with her, and I just see sign after sign confirming that it is indeed spiritual. And by the way, up to this point, uh, my mom had been having weekly, sometimes daily, non-epileptic seizures. And the Lord also let me know that those are spiritual attacks, nothing medical. So I ministered to her a lot that day, 
and she was open to listening. And then it was time to sleep. So she went to sleep. Three minutes after she fell asleep, she starts contorting her arms and her legs into positions that the human body should not be able to go into. She starts moaning. It's, it's a whole scene. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? I just start doing what I think is right. I start just talking and speaking in the authority of Jesus. You know, I cast you. Like, I'm just saying the things that I think I should be saying at this point. And I, one of the things I said was, I'm not afraid of you. And then it spoke back to me through my mom and said, if you're not afraid, why are you trembling? And then it stopped. But I knew it wasn't over. So the next morning, I call up the local Calvary Chapel Church, and I'm like, talk to the pastor. I told him everything. And he graciously let me um, bring my mom in that same day. So we go to the church. She hesitantly walks into his office. He ministers to her, and she accepts Jesus. And then he laid his hands on her, and he delivered her. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized how hard my mom's face had gotten until it was softened by Jesus. And I realized in that moment, I had my mom back. And I didn't even know she was gone. That was 10 years ago. My mom has not had a single seizure since. Now, I know that possession and oppression are not talked about openly, but I'm here to tell you that they're still around and they're very much real. And I would like to normalize that conversation so that anyone struggling doesn't have to feel alone or feel crazy and get the help that they need. Because in Jesus, we have the right to stand in victory. This battle's already won. That's my story. Thanks for listening. That was super powerful. What courage that it takes, Amber, to share your story. And we're all better. I love this series because we get to hear uh, stories from incredible people. And you'll hear another one next week and another one the week after that. And you, you just may get a call. <laughs> You're like, please don't call me. <laughs> Um, today, we're going to hit week two in this story, and I have an illustration that I think is going to go well, but we'll see. Um, John chapter 20, open up your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. And we're going to pick up uh, a unique passage that the Lord laid on my heart as we kind of tackle week two of This Is My Story. And we're going to start reading. Chapter 20 of John, verse 19, says, Then the same day at evening, before beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the print of the nails 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were inside and Thomas was with him. And Jesus came and the doors were shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here and look at my hands. Jesus, I thank you for today and the things that we've already witnessed and already heard, the profound power that you possess and our privilege to be sons and daughters, to have the spirit of the living God inside of us. And so God, I thank you that that empowers our story. Lord, that we can look back into the past into our wounds and our scars and the things that we've done and have been done to us with a new lens. And so, God, I pray that you would speak today, that you would open up our eyes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I met Heather, I lived in an apartment, and this was a tiny little, they call it an efficiency in San Antonio. And uh, I think I paid $400 a month for this thing, which again, Texas, not, not San Diego. And uh, I, just to help myself out a little bit before I got married, I got a roommate. Well, naturally, in an efficiency apartment, it's basically one room with like a kitchen, a little dinette, and a tiny little bedroom and all of that. And so I had nowhere else for my roommate to stay, but he needed a place to stay and he was willing to pay me rent. And so I'm like, sure, I'm a single guy, sleep on the couch. So he slept on the couch, he paid me rent, and it worked out, um, that's a funny story in and of itself, but it, it went on for like maybe six months. And then I, I met Heather, we got engaged, so maybe longer than six months, but nevertheless, uh, Heather and I were engaged. Um, and during the engagement, Heather wanted to come over to my apartment because she's like, hey, we have to start preparing for, uh, for our wedding because when we get married, the plan was that she was going to move into the little efficiency apartment at least until we could afford a house. And so she's like, hey, you know, I want to come over. And by then, my roommate had moved out. And so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd love to have you in my apartment. And so she came over. And I just remember her, like, taking one step in and looking at me like, how do you live here? Not only is it dirty, but it, like, really stinks. Now, you have to understand that, first of all, I was a single bachelor, you know, that didn't bother me. Second of all, how many of you know that when you're just around something all the time, then you don't necessarily notice it. But then either you take a break and then you come back to it or you have somebody new coming to it and they're like coming with fresh eyes, in this case, a fresh nose. And they're like, wow, you've been living in this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and so she's like, there's something going on here because this is not a normal stench. It was bad, right? And so I started... And she's like, now that you mention it, yeah, it has been getting progressively worse. And, you know, like I cleaned it. So Heather comes in, right, and does the whole mom thing or, you know, the wife thing. And she starts cleaning, deep clean. Heather knows how to deep clean. After the deep clean, we discover I, in uh, the course of a year and a half, I had never changed the air filter to the air conditioner because um, I didn't know you had to. I mean, come on, who, who tells you these things? So we open the deal and I mean, it's like, I mean, like thick, thick dust around that thing. You know what I'm talking about. So anyway, it's like, okay, well, that's not helping. So we replaced that. Stench is still there. We're digging. What's going on? Finally, Heather has the forethought to look underneath the couch. And underneath this couch had been piles 
of old, dirty, sweaty workout clothes. So apparently, because my, my roommate was like really into exercising and he was too lazy to wash his clothes before he left. So he stuffed them underneath the couch and they'd just been sitting there just getting worse and worse. And again, it's a tiny little efficiency. It's like basically like living in a closet. And so Heather, and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. So anyways, we figured it out. We got it clean. We moved in. It was awesome. But isn't it interesting? Sometimes in our lives, there's stuff that like really is rotten but you're living with it because you're like, I mean, it's, yeah, it doesn't smell great, but it's not horrible. And then somebody else comes into your life and they're like, that's horrible. That's rotten. That, that's really not helping you. And you're like, really, is it really that bad? Yeah, it's really that bad. I can't breathe, right? I wrote this. Sometimes we get used to something that feels normal, even when everyone else seems to know that it's rotten. Kind of like the shame or regret that you live with. Kind of like that low-grade fever of condemnation that you feel, the unworthiness because of the things that you've been through. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. Like, I know God loves me, and I know He forgave me. But it's obvious. Man, this is two weeks in a row. Thank you very much. It's obvious when you're presented with maybe an opportunity to step up and, and be somebody that people think you are, and you're like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that because, because I'm not that person. Because you have this low-grade fever of shame and regret that's been going on in your life, and it's not a big deal until it is. Or, or, or how about this one? How about the times when we're so stuck in our unforgiveness that we don't even call it that anymore because we've justified it and said, no, I'm fine. No, I've forgiven those people. No, it's fine. And we just kind of move on until their name comes up or we see them or they post something on Facebook and then all of a sudden the wheels start turning because you really haven't resolved anything, but you're just, you're fine. Anybody with me? Anybody at least know somebody in that scenario? Sometimes the most destructive things in our life are the rotten things we justify or don't even recognize are rotten anymore. God is a redeemer and he can redeem all things, but it's interesting. He can only redeem the things that we let go of. The things that we're holding on to and we're saying, no, Lord, this, is, this one's mine. You can have everything else, but this one's mine whether because I don't feel worthy or I'm hurt too bad or it's just become my safety, my, my dysfunctional binky. <laughs> this one's mine. And so God's like, all right, well, you just let me know when you want me to fix it because I'm going to need you to give it to me. I'm going to need you to open up your hands. And so today's title is What Held You Doesn't Have to Hold You Anymore. What Held You Doesn't Have to Hold You Anymore. What I love about this story is that the very first thing that Jesus does after he conquers sin, death, and the grave, jumps off the cross, three days later, rolls over the tomb, comes out and makes a beeline for the disciples, shows up even though they've locked the door, and and you know what he does? He goes, hey guys, look at my scars. 
It wasn't like, hey guys, did you see that tomb? Did you see the rock that got rolled away in that epic? Hey, what do you think about my outfit? It's like glowing, amazing, huh? Right? Hey, what about like I just walked through that wall and showed up in the midst? I can do more cool stuff. You want me to show you? No, I was like, let me show you these. What a guy thing to do, right? Like I couldn't handle that, but I know some guys and even some girls that are like super excited about showing like something really gross. Anybody with you? Anybody have any kids like that? I mean, my daughter and I can't handle blood, but my son can. And so anytime there's something gross, he's like wanting me to show me a picture. And I'm like, son, you don't understand. I will literally start getting queasy and faint if I see blood. Like that's just who I am. I mean, anytime I have to go in to get blood, I tell him right away, I'm going to need a cold rag and I'm going to need a bench to lay down on because otherwise you're going to have a a problem on your hand. (laughs) But here's Jesus, and he's like, guys, this is, this is so cool. Look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. There's this, like, this huge skull. So in fact, it's still a hole. You can put your finger in it. See? I find it very interesting. When it, come, when it came time for Jesus to prove his presence to the disciples, he didn't take them to the empty tomb. He showed them his scars. Look where the nails were. See? They're not there. There's no more nails. See? You see my feet? Because what held me isn't holding me anymore. I wonder if in that moment that the disciples... We're just kind of flashing back to three days earlier. Because Jesus spent a lot of time with the disciples after he came off the cross, but this particular instance was the very first time Jesus saw them. This is the moment he chose to have with them. And it was just three days earlier that they were standing by as Jesus was being nailed to that cross. Can you imagine the blood? It was dark, it was physically dark. It was emotionally dark. It was heavy. It was the worst day of humanity. And the disciples were standing around as their friend and savior was nailed to the cross. And here he is. And he's, he's with all smiles like, look, look at my scars. And can you imagine what they would be thinking? Now Thomas comes on the scene. And Thomas you know, we, we have a name for him. It's called Doubting Thomas because he didn't believe. But it's an interesting interaction that he has with Jesus. And so anyway, he totally misses this epic moment because the disciples were there. They saw Jesus. They saw the scars. They got to hear his voice. Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas is like, there's no way that I'm going to believe because the disciples tried to tell him, he's real. He's here. He's alive. He, he, he came back from the dead and Thomas is like, no, that's, that's not real. There's no way. Can you imagine the kinds of things Thomas said? I saw him nailed to that cross. So unless I put my finger, isn't it interesting the detail? Thomas is like, unless I put my finger where the nail was, I need to put my finger where the nail was because I saw those nails. And I saw the blood. He was nailed there. And unless I see that, and unless I touch that, 
I'm not going to believe. I find Thomas's fixation on the holes where the nails were very fascinating. So Jesus shows up to Thomas and Thomas and says, "Look, Thomas. Look. No more nails." Remember when you said you had to put your finger here? They're not there. What wounded me, what tried to kill me, what held me doesn't hold me anymore. So what about you, Thomas? What about you? Because see, Thomas was just in, he was in a whirlwind, wasn't he? There's no way I'm going to believe What kind of fear or hurt or regret or unbelief or doubt is going on in your life, Thomas? Hmm. I want you to get out the uh, little baggie that I gave you. Everybody's got two nails. I want you to grab those two nails. I'm not much of a handyman, so bear with me. Will you uh, turn the lights up in the back just a little bit? I'm having a hard time. These lights are bright. I want to make sure I can see everybody's eyes. All of us have nails. No, uh, the, the, the house lights. Sorry, Mikey. All of us have nails, but I gave you two. And the reason why I gave you two is because all of us have nails in two categories. One category are things that we've done. Inflicted wounds on others or ourself, regrets that we have. Nails that hold us back. All of us have these. And all of us have dealt with them or are dealing with them in different ways. Some of them are like those dirty laundry just shoved under the couch and it doesn't really stink to you until you bring somebody new into your life and you're like, wow, that's really stinky. <laughs> you should probably deal with that. No, it's fine. What are you talking about? I've been living here just fine. I watch TV every night on this couch. <laughs> what's, what's wrong? <laughs> Heather's like, I'm not coming in until you remove it. <laughs> it's called baggage. The other nail represents wounds that have been inflicted upon us. Things that have people have said or done. Hurts, disappointments, unmet expectations. And they, they hold us, don't they? And some of those are gigantic nails, and some of them are small, but nevertheless, difficult to unlodge from our hands and feet as they hold us. So where in your story is there a comma instead of a period? Where something God has been dealing with, something God has been working you through, and yet 
there's just a comma there because there's fill in the blank. There's more to be told about this story. It's a part of your story, and it's not it's not finished. It's not it's not clean. It's messy, and and there's just a comma there, and you fill in that blank all the time. I've always had kind of a fascination between um, screws and nails because when to use a screw and when to use a nail. Now, the carpenters in the room, there's a lot of them. Uh, you guys are going to be like, wow, really, Shane, this is kind of elementary stuff. But I don't know about you, I'm just not all that handy. Uh, I have a, a drill gun, but uh, Heather probably uses it more than I do. Um, she, she truly is the handy one in the house. But... Uh, but, you know, when to use a nail and when to use a screw. I, I don't know. Do you know? Um, so, I recently was, was building something, and, uh, and this was a couple of years ago, and I was building it with, with um, screws. It was kind of like a fence, pallet wall type of a thing. And I didn't know I should have been using uh, nails because the problem with screws is that they're very, di- very difficult to dislodge unless you have a drill gun. See, nails, you can just pound them out. You can just disassemble something, no problem. Have you ever tried to disassemble something that's been screwed in when you didn't have a screw gun? You pretty much have to rip it apart. And even then, the screws are still in, right? Because you need a tool. Have you ever had a tool a screw gun, and then only to realize that the drill bit was wrong. So this is what happened to me. I built this thing, and I had to disassemble it because we were trying to pass an inspection when our pool was being built, and we had to build this little side fence because it's just ridiculous. Well, you know, you know inspections. Like, they check everything. And so we had to build this little side fence, and in order to do so, I had to unscrew a screw the problem was, it was late at night, inspection was in the morning, Home Depot was closed, and I realized that this thing had been built with deck screws. Now, Joe, to illustrate, why don't you come here? Everybody give Joe a hand. Because Joe, Joe can do anything. Joe can do anything. And so if anyone can pull this off, he's even tying his shoe to get it done. If anyone can pull this off, it's Joe. So Joe, here's the thing. I've got a screw here and I really need it out. It's holding me. And, and, and in front of all these people, I need you to get it done. You got the wrong bit. But I mean, it should be fine, don't you think? No. Can you, can't you just jam it in there? No. It'll strip. <laughs> Not even you, Joe? <laughs> Not even me. Guys, this is a dilemma. What am I going to do? My good friend can't help me. How about hard work? How about we just roll up our sleeves? You hold the board, and I just, I just work at it. How about, how about we try? How about we try this? You hold it, and we just. Joe, you're fired. <laughs> Give him Joe a hand. So here's what I need. I need the right drill bit. Does anybody in the audience happen to have 
a deckmate drill bit so that I can get unstuck. Anybody? Does anybody happen to, just happen to have that in the, with it? You've got one? Alex, do you have one? I have one. I'm prepared. Here, stand up, Alex. Let me see it, because I, I don't believe you. Perfect, so just give it to me. Can I have it? No, I don't think so. Well, I need it, though, because I'm stuck. I know you're stuck. <laughs> but if you just give it to me and I put it in my gun, then I can, I can remove this thing in my life that's been killing me. So can, will you do that? I need you to do that for me. Can I have it? I, I don't think I can help. You're also fired. Gosh. Now, I have trained Alex to do that. He really isn't the bad guy here. Here's the reality. If we're not careful, it'll be up on the screen. If we're not careful, sometimes someone or something out there has the key to unlock what we're, what's holding me back. This is the lie that we believe. Somebody's got the key to unlock my forgiveness. They're just not willing to say, I'm sorry. But if they would, if they would just do the things that I need them to do, then I can get unstuck. Because right now, I'm stuck. I mean, you saw me. I can't get a hammer on it. I can't get a drill on it. Not even Joe can get this done. No amount of counseling is going to make this happen because there's somebody out there holding the key to my freedom. And they've just said no. So what am I going to do? There is somebody or something out there. There is a amount of good deeds. Here's the deal. I'm stuck in my shame and my regret. And so there is an amount of hard work that's going to get this done. And it may be a lot, but eventually I'm going to pry this thing out by my good deeds. I'm going to get it done. Which is why I've been so good lately right? Because I feel like I'm making headway. I mean, I know it doesn't look like it, but eventually, eventually I'm going to get, I'm going to get it. I feel like it just moved a little bit. Do you see that? Yeah. See, that's why I'm going to keep coming back to church because I, I, I got it up a little bit. See, but eventually, see, there is a key out there and I'm going to find it and I'm going to get free. Anybody with me? Anybody understand the things that hold us back and the way that we convince ourselves that it's something outside of anything that I have in control and I know you've done a lot for me, Jesus. But this one, I don't think you can help me with. Because it's that person. It's in their control to help me with this one. And they've said no, which drives it deeper but eventually they'll come around. And if they don't, I will fire them. So Jesus conquers sin, death, and the grave. He steps down off of that cross. He makes a beeline over to the disciples. And he says, no more nails. 
I'm not held back. I'm not held captive. There's nothing that holds me today. And I am literally taking the first moment off of this cross, out of that grave. I have, I have all the things I need to do in this short period of 40 days before I go to heaven. And I'm taking this long moment with you disciples to show you physically I'm not held back. Those nails that you saw nailed into me no longer hold me. Yeah, there was, there was definitely nails in my story. So here's the thing, Thomas. I know you're filled with doubt. And I know this whole thing is so confusing for you. But look, and he's probably like, I know Jesus, but that was probably so easy for you. Thomas, you know. You saw the betrayal. You don't think that hurt? hurt. You don't think it was hard? Oh, there's lots of nails, Thomas. You guys are impressed, huh? But what broke me, but what was broken is whole because all my nails are in the cross. All my nails, Thomas, are in the cross. See? See? They're in the cross. See, Thomas? Nothing about this was easy, Thomas. And I think that's what Jesus would say to you. It, w- it wasn't easy. To keep these nails from getting a grip on me. And I think that it's so easy for us at times to convince ourselves that, yeah, I get it. Jesus is good and he's stronger than everything, but you don't understand my story. You don't understand how stuck I am. And and I think what Jesus is saying to Thomas is, it's not that it's not painful, and it's not that it's not a process. It's just, you're not stuck. So quit looking outside of Jesus to try to find the key for you getting unstuck because he's like, listen, I don't have any more nails. So you too, Thomas, your nails can be in the cross too. This is the story of Jesus. What held you doesn't have to hold you. So I guess my question is, what's holding you? What's holding you? And what have you convinced yourself about that nail? And and I'm I'm asking you guys to have a moment for a second. Of, of, of really honesty with yourself, which is one of the most difficult yet powerful things of us having a moment of honesty with ourselves. What is keeping that nail lodged in you? Why is it so easy for you to say, you don't understand, dot, dot, dot? 
Fill in the blank. Thank you. What is it? What's keeping you from saying, like Jesus, no more nails? I don't deal with that anymore. What you've been talking about and nursing and rehearsing for years now, Jesus, you're good, and I know eventually this is going to happen, but I still deal with this. Like, what is keeping that nail still holding you today? What is it? And have you convinced yourself that somebody or something has the key and eventually it's going to happen? I believe that Jesus staring at Thomas would say, Thomas, um, the cross wasn't for me. It's for you. And in that moment, I can imagine Thomas rehearsing in his mind this famous scripture where Jesus would say, I bore your grief. I carried your sorrow. I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. And by my stripes, you were healed. Like sheep all have gone astray, each to his own way, yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the question then is, what are you going to do with your nails? Because it's clear that Jesus carried them for us. He is the key. It's him. It's always been him. He has disarmed every nail. And don't forget, you guys are going to be impressed. Instagram ready? Here we go. I know I look handy. I'm really not. Don't forget, Jesus is a carpenter. He's ready to go. Come on. He doesn't have any nails in his tool belt, though. But he has professional nail dislodger. This is what he does. See, he's already done the work on the cross. And so now what he gets to do is just break out his hammer. And he says, come on. Come on, let's, let's dislodge that thing, that nail that has been holding you. That's what he does. And he's the only one that does it. And that's the beautiful thing. There is no one in this room that has this cool tool belt except for Jesus. No one. And, and that's, that's such a powerful, I'm going to put my little thing in there. That's such a powerful revelation. There's no one in this room, there's no one in your life, there's no one in your past that has this tool belt. It's only Jesus. And so while it would be nice 
for people to do X, Y, and Z to make your life better, to make your emotions feel better, right? All of those things relationally, like all of that's good and we should hope for that and desire that. But at the end of the day, none of them will ever dislodge this nail that's holding you. And Jesus is like, look, Thomas, I want you to put your finger where the nail was. And I want you to see that there is no nails in me. There's nothing that's holding me back. And I see the nails in you, Thomas. I see the regret. I see the hurt. I see the disappointment. And I'm telling you, come on, I'm coming to dislodge those nails. So quit making excuses. Quit holding on to it and like, no, Jesus, you don't understand. Or like, quit trying so hard in church and to do all the stuff. But at the end of the day, you're not letting the miracle worker come with his hammer and saying, listen, I just want to come and dislodge that. I want to, I want to disarm every accusation. I want to disarm every bitterness, every hurt, all those things. Those, do, those people do not have power over you anymore. So quit letting it pierce you. Because he was pierced in your stead. All my nails are in the cross. This is what Jesus said. So you and I, we can come. And I love how this whole thing was, was, was concluded with Jesus. Because Jesus has this moment with the disciples and with Thomas. He's like, no more nails. And then what happens next is Jesus says these things which make no sense considering what was talked about except for where this whole thing is headed. He goes in John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them, Peace, be, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we said to this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So in other words, listen, you've seen me come off the cross, come out of that grave. And the first thing I did is I rolled up my sleeves and I said, look how, look, look at my scars. What held me isn't holding me anymore. I'm healed. I was broken and now I'm healed. Come on, you too can live a life where there is nothing holding you back. And so Jesus is like, not only do I want to set you free, but now I'm sending you as the Father sent me. I'm sending you. Come on, go show your scars. This day when we're going to be in church and we're like, no, I'm fine. And we're like putting the masks on because we don't want anyone to see where we've struggled or where we've been hurt. No, Jesus is like, no, I'm literally sending you to show your scars. Show people, man, I was wounded, but look what God did. Man, those nails were so deep and they were so much bigger than this. They were like this big and they were like piercing me. But look what God did. I don't have any more nails. God set me free. I get it. I understand. I've made so many mistakes in my life, but I'm telling you that you can be free like me. And so I want you to see my scars because I see that there's nails in there holding you and I know where you're at and I know what it's like and I can tell you that there is only one who has the key to dislodge the thing that's holding you back and I know that you think it's that person because they hurt you and they owe you. They owe you. But only Jesus as a hammer and a tool belt. So only Jesus. And so 
We have a decision to make. You've got a bag full of two nails. And however long you hold on to those two nails and allow them to hold you back is your decision. But I'm here to tell you by somebody who has nailed myself and been nailed and thought I would never get unstuck. I'm here to tell you this possible. But you got to quit holding on to the nails. I know you think it feels good, but it's, it's not helping you. It stinks. Everyone around you can smell it. And you're like, I can't watch TV and concentrate while those clothes are under there. They stink. Let them go. Come on. It doesn't have to hold you anymore. You're free. You're free. Father God, I thank you today that your message has never changed, Jesus. That you came that we might be whole. You were broken so that we might be whole. And I don't know where along the line that we accepted this narrative that you came that we might be partially whole. But Jesus, I thank you today that your message is clear that the nails don't have to hold us anymore because they didn't hold you. And so I want to pray for those places in our lives where we've given into the lie that this nail, I don't, I don't think this one's ever going to come dislodged. I've, I've worked at it and worked at it. And so I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to live with one arm because the other one's nailed. Jesus, I pray that you would dislodge that lie right now in Jesus' name and that you would come with your love and remind us once again that your, your arm is not too short to save and that there is no key out there somewhere. You are the key. And so come. I pray that you would make a pathway to freedom clear and obvious to us and that we would start believing again. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Anybody want to go build some stuff? I'm ready.